Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And as we've talked about before, the church at Corinth was experiencing a lot of different problems. And that's the reason for Paul's writing the letter was to try to straighten some things out. But one of the problems was in its worship practices. Among them was a a lack of understanding of of the spiritual gifts that God gives us and how they're, they're supposed to be used. In the passage we're going to read, Paul listed nine spiritual gifts. Some of these same gifts, as well as some others, are listed in the book of Romans, uh, the book of Ephesians, and the book of 1 Peter. Exactly how many spiritual gifts there are is debated among people. Um, some people say that's just the ones that are listed here in 1 Corinthians, but if you read other places, you'll see that there's listings of other spiritual gifts also. So we're not going to get into how many there really are. Because the important thing is why Paul wrote this letter. What was happening is that individual self-interest had taken control of the spiritual gifts. People that had a specific gift of the Spirit were touting themselves as opposed to the gift that God had given them. And they were being lifted up in themselves. The result was disorder and disunity within the church. So Paul addressed the problem in two ways. First, he talked about the the origin of the gifts, where they come from. Then he explained what their function was. And that's what we're going to do today, is to talk a little bit about that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one of the, to, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are special abilities that are bestowed on Christians to empower them to serve in the body of Christ. That's the best way to look at it. It's not superpowers. It doesn't turn you into Spider-Man or Superman and where you can fly and fend off bullets. That's not what gifts of the Spirit are. They are not things that we do. It's things that God does through us. And that's what the church at Corinth was having a problem with. God would use them to do something, And then they would take the credit for it. And we see that happening in society today. Hence, we still have that letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians for us today to help us. Paul explained that while there were, in fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning, he said there were different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, and different kinds of work. But the one thing that they all had in common is that they all came from the same place. God works all of them in all men. 
Every gift is beneficial to the body of Christ. There is not a gift of the Spirit that is meant to lift up the person that has that gift. It is meant as something to lift up the body of Christ. <coughs> there is no gift that is more important than the next one. They're all on the same level. There are people that, that would have a certain gift maybe of, of healing, and they would place that above maybe someone else that had a gift of interpretation of tongues. There is no hierarchy in gifts of the Spirit. They are all the same, they all come from the same place, and they're all equal. The only time it changes is when people place themselves above another person with their gift. <clears throat> the, the spiritual gifts are not particularly given for the one that receives the gift. They're given to the person so that that person can benefit the body of Christ. And if we all, and we all should, have certain gifts of the Spirit in our life, when we all do the things that we're supposed to do, then the body of Christ functions the way that it's supposed to. Now, when you get into the, the individual gifts, you could spend probably the next ten weeks just taking them one at a time. But we're not going to do that. We're going to do it all this morning. So hang on, and we'll try to get through this. One of the ones that Paul mentions is the gift of the message of wisdom. In the King James Version, it's called the Word of Wisdom. And that seems to be the, the ability to make decisions and give guidance that is according to God's will. Now, some people would say, well, we all should do that. This is an extraordinary gift, an extraordinary ability. The, the gift of the message of wisdom that's in verse 8 is the application of the knowledge that God gives us. And it's this gift that God would give to someone to know for sure that this is what something means. I particularly don't feel like I have that gift. I know there are people that are. It doesn't make them smarter than me. It doesn't make them smarter than you. It means that they have a particular gift from God. I believe that the, the kind of wisdom that is in this gift of the word of wisdom is something that cannot be gained from study or experience. But that shouldn't leave us to, to say, well, I'll just sit around and wait for the Lord to speak to me. The Bible also says study to show yourself approved. So we still need to study. We still need to hear teaching. We still need to hear preaching. We need to do all of those things because if we don't have that particular gift, that's how we're going to hear them. The gift of the message or the word of wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. God speaks to a person about something, but He speaks to them to where they see it the way He sees it as opposed to the way that man would see it. Keep in mind, these are gifts. Not everybody has every gift. <clears throat> I believe that the gift of the the word of wisdom can also be used in the revealing of prophetic future, which there's also a gift of prophecy. 
um, it's speaking truths of what is not known by human understanding. When someone has the gift of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom, I believe that they say things or can say things that cannot come from any place else but from God. It is a supernatural perspective that is divinely given to someone for spiritual intuition in problem solving. Maybe a church comes to a place where they're, they're at a crossroads and, and they, need, they need some, some direction and to know for sure that it's God. I believe that God can use someone that has that word of wisdom to speak and say, this is what God is saying. We have to be careful. If we are that person, we have to make sure that we know that it's God and not us. See, that's where these gifts of the Spirit sometimes, we have to make sure that it's God and not the person. And when we talk about some of these other gifts, we'll see how that gets out of whack sometimes. It Basically, it's taking knowledge that you have, but God using that knowledge that you have to speak from His perspective. The gift of wisdom is the wisdom of God. It's not the wisdom of man. You could be a really smart person and be wise and, and an older person and be experienced and not have the wisdom of God. You could have the wisdom of man and know a lot of things and, and you could speak to someone to tell them how to stay out of trouble but not have the gift of the word of wisdom. The gift of the word of wisdom works with two other gifts. There's a word of knowledge, and there's a gift, I believe, of discernment. We've talked about discernment before. Um, King James Version calls it discernment. The New International Version calls it distinguishing between spirits. And I believe the word of knowledge is a definite conviction or an impression or, or knowing a knowing that comes to you in different ways. Now, stay with me here, because this is going to start sounding like alien stuff, if you're not careful. It could come to you in a dream. It could come to you in a vision. It could come to you through a scripture. And sometimes, and this is the one I'm hesitant to say, it's just a feeling. When you know, if you have that gift, you know for certain that God has spoken to you about a particular thing. Now, there are people that don't have that particular gift that God still speaks to. But I'm talking about a specific gift that God has placed in your possession to use for the body of Christ. The gift of the word of knowledge is the revelation of the divine will and plan of God. And if we're not careful we start to take these gifts and diminish them and say, well, if I'm full of the Spirit, then I have, I have all these. That would be great, and maybe you do. But we have to distinguish that there are distinct gifts. And Paul separated them out and said that there are some that have this, some that have this, and some that have this. And in every body of believers, all of those gifts should exist. 
Let me go back over here and say it again. In every group of believers, all of those gifts should exist. That was better. I won't do it again. They should exist. Because if they don't, how can the body of Christ function without all the necessary things in order to function? The, the gift of the word of wisdom, or the word of knowledge, they function together. Knowledge is, look at it this way, knowledge is the raw material, and wisdom uses it to build something. We have the knowledge, and then the wisdom of God helps us to use that knowledge. But it's divinely done. The discerning of spirits is a supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to perceive the source of a spiritual manifestation and determine whether it is of God, of the devil, or of man. And there are people that have a specific gift that they can see something and know in their spirit through that gift, whether it's of God or of man or of the devil. There are other people that will sit and and listen to somebody that's no more of God than anything and never know the difference. And see, that's the thing is, in any of these gifts, we have to we have to make sure that it's God speaking, but we also can't suppress that to a point to where we we question it so much that we just don't do it. If if you have a certain gift that God has given you, you need to use it. The discerning of spirits is done through the Holy Spirit. It bears witness with our spirit when something is or isn't of God. There's something, it's that that feeling that you get. I was talking to Megan this past week. She was back in town. And I believe she described this exact thing in an event that they walked into a restaurant and she said, when I walked into the restaurant, she said, I felt drained in my spirit. Almost like I was going to fall down. And she said, I didn't understand it. And I felt like I should leave, but there was a big group of them. And she said, I went on, went in. When they came out, it was a, a different kind of restaurant that had different kinds of artists that did painting and, and different things. But they also had a section set off where there was this person as she walked out that was doing tarot card reading and when she walked by that table she got that feeling again and then she saw where this was coming from it was that discernment of spirit when a person walked into the room and the interesting thing is later that week she was at a a church service over in lake wales and the minister got up and basically told the exact same story of something that had happened like that in his life so yes, there is, there is a gift of people because everybody else in that group was in the same, went to the same college, was on the same tour, singing in the same churches, praying together, 
Nobody else felt that. But here's a person that as soon as they walked through the door, felt this drain on their spirit. I believe that's how the gift works. Now, in a perfect world where we listen to all these things, a person would say, I don't think we should go in there, and everybody would follow and we'd go somewhere else. But what happens so many times is we question that and we go, well, maybe it's just me. If you have a gift of the Spirit, you need to use it. Discernment implies a a power of spiritual insight. The supernatural revelation of plans and purposes of the enemy and his forces. Now what, what purpose does that serve? It, it helps us to be aware. And it helps us to be on the defensive mode to know when the devil is coming against the church. There are people that in their praying, that, that have these gifts of discernment, that when they're praying, God will speak to them that there is going to be an, an onslaught of, of sickness on the church or, or whatever it is that God is speaking to that person. And they can pray specifically about something because God has spoken to them. Now, a lot of people hear this and they go, that's just, uh, uh, you know, that's just this kind of stuff. And you want to hear the theme from Twilight Zone going off. It's not that, y'all. This is real. I believe that there's something else that is closely related to this same gift. I believe it's when God speaks to a person and gives a person a gift. And stay with me on this one. He gives people a gift of discernment. He, and he speaks to us about other people. Now, he doesn't tell us all their faults so we can go tell somebody. That's not what I'm talking about. But I believe that there is this ability that God gives to certain people to feel another person's pain, another person's depression, another person's confusion. And you, you feel that. I have felt that. I have seen people that I don't even know and have felt, and I'm not saying I have this this special gift, but if I have any of them, it would be this one, that I would say I've seen people that I don't know and somehow I can feel what those people are feeling. It's not mind reading. It's not fortune telling. It's a gift of the Spirit for a purpose. Because if we, if God gives us the ability to feel what that person's feeling, we can help them. If we don't know how they're feeling, how, how can we help them? And if we don't act on it when God speaks to us, then who's going to help them? And there are a lot of people say, you know what, those gifts were for the early church to help the church get established. That's all they were for, and they don't happen anymore. Show me in the Bible where it says any of that ever came to an end. Yes, it was for establishing the church. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But it continues to take place to help the church to build as a body. There's a gift of faith. 
in verse ten or verse nine. And this isn't the kind of faith that we're, we have faith when we're saved, but an extraordinary ability to trust in God. I believe that the gift of faith... In fact, let's read Romans 12 and 3. For by grace given... Right. For, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So to every man is given a measure of faith. The Bible is, is plain on that. We all have a certain amount of faith. But there is a gift of faith that is a special ability that God gives to certain peoples in, in the body of Christ that helps them with have extraordinary confidence in knowing that God will do what He said. You say, I never heard of that. Well, I didn't make it up. Sometimes we, we look at some of these other things and we forget about the things that Paul said, this is what you need to be looking at. There is a gift of faith. There should be somebody at High Point Church, a Brandon, that has this gift of faith that when everybody else might start doubting if something's going to happen, they can stand up and say, God has spoken to me and this will happen. How? Through faith. Well, everybody else had faith too. Yeah, a measure of faith. But there should be someone that has this extraordinary gift of faith. Now, I know there's someone here today or that's listening, going to hear this on a CD or hear it online, and they're going to say, well, he's just fallen off the deep end and gone out into the whole mystic thing. Again, this is not mind reading and all of that. These are gifts of the Spirit that the Bible speaks of in more than one place. I believe that this gift of faith is the ability to act on God's promises with confidence and unwavering belief in the ability that He has to fulfill His purpose. To stand in the face of whatever happens and say, I believe it. Everybody else is saying no, but I'm going to tell you, I believe it. I believe it takes an extraordinary extraordinary person to have a gift of faith. It takes somebody that God has blessed to such an extent and, and has this it has to be this gift that in spite of whatever they see, they still know that God is going to fulfill what He has promised. There's a gift of healing. The gift of healing is specifically for that. It's for restoration of sick of health to the people that are sick. The healing is not done by the person. It's like all the other gifts. It is a gift of the Spirit that works through us. It is done through the person by the Spirit. Not everyone that conducts so-called healing services has the gift of healing. A lot of them have the gift of raising a lot of money. 
And that's not to say at some point they didn't have a gift of healing. I believe that God has put people into places to where they had the gift of healing and that God, they had this extraordinary faith and they had this gift of healing that yes, they believed so much that God could heal someone that they could lay hands on them and pray pray for them and see people healed miraculously. But then like the people at Corinth, they started taking credit for it. And they started thinking, I did it. And when they put up the banners... It was their name and God down here in the subtext. Now, just because there's fakes and frauds out there, it doesn't take away a bit from the fact that God can and does heal people. If you heard that there was somebody in Brandon that was making counterfeit $20 bills and starting to pass them out, would you take the $20 bills you had in your pocket and throw them in the trash? No. Just because there's fakes out there doesn't mean that there isn't real stuff too. The gift of healing is real. I've seen it. There, in verse 10, it talks about a gift of miraculous powers. I believe that this can go along with the gift of healing, but... I think it can manifest itself in other ways to be able to cast out demons, um, a lot of different things like that, just the supernatural portion. But I think it's included in that gift of healing. There's a gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy, I believe, enables a believer that has this gift to deliver a message from God. Now, you have to be careful here. It's not a new message that's different from the Bible. In, the, in Paul's day, the local church a lot of times would receive prophecy from someone who had that gift. There was a man, a prophet named Agabus. In um, Acts 11, 27 and 28. <clears throat> during, this, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. He said it's going to happen. It happened. In... Chapter 21, verses 10 and 11 of Acts. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Guess what? It happened. Oh, but that was just for back then. Why? We don't need it today. We don't need God to speak to us today. But in spite of these true prophecies in Paul's day, there were false prophets too. There were those going around saying all sorts of things. 
here's where this gift of discernment of the spirits comes into play. Because if a person in the church had that gift of whether they knew it was a spirit of God, of man, or of the devil, when that person spoke, that person with that gift would know if it was from God or not. And that's how these gifts benefit the body of Christ. But if we don't use them, they don't benefit anybody. Absolutely. The church today still has false prophets. You can look, Lord, there are so many people that call themselves prophet or prophetess. I mean, it's like it doesn't even mean anything anymore. It's, you just decide you want to put it in front of your name and that makes you something. It's, it's gotten to a point where it just, you hate to even read it. But there are, it's, it's like everything else. Just because there's fakes doesn't mean that the real thing isn't there too. First uh, John 4, 1 through 3. So how do we know? Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. I believe that all of us, to an extent, have an ability to test the spirits. You might not have that special gift, but I believe that when we receive the Spirit into our life, when we're saved, that we have a certain ability to tell. And we, if, if we stay in touch with God and we are connected, we should be able to tell if someone's speaking the truth or not. If I stood up here this morning and started talking about things that just were absolutely off the wall, which some people think I am anyway, but if I were, hopefully somewhere down inside you, you would say, that's not right. I just don't feel like that's right. That's right. I, that's a, that's a good point. This past week at the funeral, I, I spoke to the pastor after he spoke at this funeral. And I said something to him about, I know you'll probably be criticized for what you said today, but you spoke the truth. Because as he said it, I felt in my spirit what he was saying, it was true. And that's the way we should feel. We should have that, that recognition of when God is speaking through someone to be able to tell whether it's of God or not. So, in, in the scripture we just read, the, the person that says something, it should match up to what the Word of God says. There are true prophets today. <clears throat> we don't hear as much from the true prophets as we do from the false ones, unfortunately. Unfortunately. 
But the gift that we've, the gifts that we've talked about earlier can help us to tell the true prophets from the false prophets. So how else do we tell if a person is a false prophet? Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Now, in order to know what the gospel is, that means that we have to know what this says. 1 Timothy 2 and 15 says to do your best or study to show yourself approved in the King James. In the NIV it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. So how do we know is because we read it and we study it and we listen to it and we know what it says and if somebody says something that doesn't match up with this, we know it. But if we don't study, we don't. Mm -hmm. Track. Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22. This is from the Old Testament. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, do not be afraid of him. If what the person prophesies doesn't happen, they're not a prophet. So it narrows down to two things. If you don't have that special gift from God and you don't really have that thing in your spirit that, that goes off when somebody's prophesying something that's not true, you can tell two ways. Number one, it will match up to the Word of God. It will never contradict the Word of God. And number two, it will come to pass. There's a particular television evangelist person. I won't mention his name, but he has funny hair. But he actually said the words that when he first started, he only got about two out of ten right. But now he's doing much better. He's up to about eight out of ten. You can look it up. His name's Benny Hinn. I'm telling you, there are false prophets out there, and I usually don't call names, but I'm going to do it this morning, because there are false prophets out there. And there are people that say things, look it up sometime and look at some of the prophecies that this man has said that were going to happen. He said at one point, years ago, that God was going to appear in person on the stage in one of his revivals. That year, it never happened. I'm telling you, there is a gift of prophecy. There is a gift that God gives to people to speak, to say something that He wants to say to His people. But I will tell you this, if you take it upon yourself to speak for God, I would be careful. 
Now, what happens then is people say, well, I don't want to speak out of turn. That's where we go back to testing the Spirit to know that it's true. When God speaks to you, you should know His voice. Isn't that what the Bible says? If we are not close enough in a relationship with God that we know His voice, then we need to work on a relationship. If any one of you that have been married for any length of time, or that you have kids or or somebody that you're close to, if they were out in that fellowship hall and you heard them yell for help, you would know immediately that it was your husband or your wife or your child because you would recognize their voice. It should be the same way with God. We should have such a close relationship with God that when He speaks to us, we know that it's God. Well, it's scary to step out. Well, if you know it's God, you have nothing to be afraid of. There's a gift of tongues. I believe the gift of tongues is an ability to speak in a language that a person hasn't learned. Um, In 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, I want to read the um, King James Version. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Since these unknown tongues are not a language, they can't be translated... They have to be interpreted. And since they have to be interpreted, the next thing that Paul lists as a gift is a person that has the gift of interpretation. It's not a foreign language. It's an unknown tongue. Does God still speak to His people in unknown tongues? Absolutely, positively. But let me tell you something. When God speaks in a service... And a person stands and gives a message, gives a message in tongues. There needs to be an interpretation. Why? Well, because if there isn't, nobody knows what was said. No man understands them. What good does it serve? Now, that doesn't put the person that gave the message at fault. That person did their part. There's sometimes that I believe a person will give a message and they can interpret it. But I, I also believe that most of the time, one person will give the, the message in tongues and another person will interpret it. That means that there's no interpretation. Either God made a mistake or somebody didn't stand up and do what they should have done. I didn't write it. I was in a service years ago in a big auditorium. There was probably 3,500 people there. And a person, and I wasn't paying any attention where these people were, but a person stood up on the, that side. I was in the balcony. 
And a person stood up on that side and gave a message in tongues. No interpretation. Person stood up towards the front. Message in tongues. No interpretation. Person in the back stood up, gave a message in tongues. No interpretation. And there's, this place is quiet now. There's not even a baby crying with 3,500 people there. Person on this side gives a message in tongues. No interpretation. And it's quiet as it can be. A person in the middle of the building stood up and gave the interpretation. I have spoken to you from the north, the south, the east, and from the west. And they gave the interpretation. And it was completely quiet. I saw that. I didn't hear about it. Didn't see it on TV. I saw it happen. And the message was for that group of people that were there. God uses these gifts to speak to His people in extraordinary ways. Because a lot of times we won't stop and listen. So maybe it comes through a gift of the word of knowledge. Maybe it comes through the gift of prophecy. Maybe it comes through the gift of tongues and interpretation. But if we don't possess the gifts, how does God speak to us? Yes, He speaks to us through His Word. Yes, He speaks to us in prayer. Yes, He speaks to us from the pulpit. Yes, He speaks through, through, to us through the teachers. But when He has an extraordinary message that He wants to deliver, how do we get it if nobody possesses His gifts? On the day of Pentecost, it says that they spoke in other tongues. And I don't believe this is the same as the unknown tongues because the people that were gathered around, they said, those people are Jews and we can understand them. They're speaking in our language. So you know what? There was no interpretation needed because it was an actual language that they were speaking that they didn't know. That's the difference if you ever wanted to know. Let's move on. Well, I could, I could spend, but we're not going to do that. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 20. The body is a unit. Through it is made up of many parts, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And then verse 26. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
Paul is using this analogy of the human body for us to understand the body of Christ and to understand the difference in the gifts that are given. That everybody receives different gifts, but they're all just as important as the next one. If you don't think so, don't do this. I was going to say cut your toe off. But if you cut your big toe off and tried to stand up barefooted, you would find that you would probably fall over forward. Because that big toe has an awful lot to do with your, to do with your balance. You don't think about it, but it does. Every body part, we think of some as being more important than others until we hurt them. The ones that we don't think are that important. If you're left-handed and you hurt your left hand, I guarantee you, before it's all over, you'll know how important your left hand is. Even if it's just one little finger. You'll miss that little finger. Because it affects the rest of the hand. When it affects the rest of the hand, it affects the rest of the body. Paul said that when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part in the church suffers, the whole church suffers. And Paul got the point across, I believe, by saying even though it's many parts, it's still one body. Everybody can't be the pastor. Be thankful. Everybody can't play the guitar. I can't. Everybody can't sing. But everybody can do something. And God has given everybody something to do. It's up to us whether we decide to do it. When Michael Jordan, who undoubtedly, I'd argue with anybody on this one, is the best basketball player, the greatest basketball player that has ever lived or ever will play basketball. When he left the University of North Carolina and signed up with the Chicago Bulls to play professional basketball, they went for several years before they ever, they just couldn't have a winning season. He went to the management and said, look, I might be good, but I can't win a championship on my own. You need to put some people around me that are talented. You know what they did? They listened. They brought in, like him or not, Dennis Rodman, Scotty Pippen, and Horace Grant. And when they brought those people in, they won six national championships in seven years? Why? Did Michael Jordan get better? No. He had some help. There's too many churches that say, Pastor, fill this place up. That's what we hired you to do. That's not what we hired him to do. We didn't hire him. God called him. That's the truth. We are no different. Paul was trying to get across that exact same thing with the body that we just talked about with a basketball team. 
to win, you have to play as a team. I can give you a perfect example in sports right now. The New York Yankees have the highest payroll in baseball. They have people making $25 million a year, and they can't win games. They have some of the most talented people, Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, and the list goes on and on, some of the most talented people in all of baseball. And they can't win games because they don't play as a team. The church is no different. You can have extraordinary people in a church. You can have extraordinary gifts. But if they're not all present and they're not all active, you won't survive. I had somebody tell me yesterday that churches were like hotels. If you didn't keep 70% occupancy, eventually you go out of business. And I thought about that. You know what? There's more truth than that. Than First Corinthians two or First Corinthians twelve says that God distributes these gifts of the Spirit as He sees fit. But it means that He does give them out. God does not want us to be ignorant of the way that we should serve Him. And He gives these gifts out so that we can know how to do the things that He wants us to do. We just need to be careful that we don't get caught up in the gift and forget about the purpose. If God gives you an extraordinary gift to use in the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go buy a big tent and a semi-truck and start traveling around the country touting your gift. Use it in your local assembly. Use it in your church. Use it to bless your church. Use it to help whatever body that you're a part of. If a person starts working out and their left arm gets real big, that arm can't decide to go off on its own because it's big. Well, I think I'll just go out on my own. Guess what? It won't work very well. God will equip us with whatever gifts of the Spirit that we need to accomplish the task that He has called us to do. God calls some to be teachers, and I believe He gives some the gift of teaching. But let me tell you this. If you don't have the gift of teaching, that doesn't necessarily excuse you from doing it. Is it beneficial to know what spiritual gifts that God has given you? Absolutely. Is it wrong to focus so much on that spiritual gift that we miss up other opportunities to serve God? Absolutely. If you say, well, you know, God's given me the, uh, the spirit of the word of knowledge. So I really don't want to teach Sunday school. I just want to work on my gift. But we need a Sunday school teacher. No, it's just not what I'm called to do. It's not the way it works. What we need to focus on is serving God. 
Do you see a need in your church? If yes, what can you do to meet that need? Is there a position in a ministry that is open? If yes, and you can fill it, why not fill it? Yes, the gifts of the Spirit are very important, but we can't get so caught up in our gift that we don't do the things that need to be done. If you see a vacancy, pray and ask God. I know I'm not specifically blessed with that gift, but can you help me to do that? Maybe it's... Hi, I'm from High Point Church. Just want to invite you out to church sometime. I don't speak... I don't do that well. Neither did Moses. Moses was out in the desert. God told him, go back and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. You know what Moses said? But I stutter. We'll go anyway. So he went anyway. He didn't say, well, oh, that's right, I forgot. No, he said, I called you to go, so go. Take your brother with you if you need help, but go. Isn't that what happened? That's right. Look it up. If God calls you to do something, He will give you the ability to do it. And I'll close with this. If we seek God's will and obey His leading, He will always equip us with whatever gifts of the Spirit we need to accomplish His will. God bless you.